Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and so, stop dying. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are again. <laughs> Don't Die. Becoming a national movement, Chuck, by oh, the way. Oh, my. Not by us, by no. many others. I know. There's new shirts. Did you get a new shirt? No, I haven't gotten a new shirt. Oh, it's but, in the other room. But Hold on. I'm bringing it to you. But I got... Uh, there's a don't die started. Oh, there's two new don't dies. One started in. Oh shit, I forget. See how disorder. How can we be the leaders of a movement? I can't even remember the city. Oh my god, <laughs> they got keeps. They got buttons. Oh my god. He's the greatest, Patrick, Patrick over there in Milwaukee. Go, go, go. <laughs> no, but I got the. I got the. I got the text message from two different people that started don't dies. Oh, Sacramento. Don't really? die Sacramento, I think. And don't die Las Vegas. Oh good. And don't die Sacramento. And that is <laughs> And Sacramento and Las Vegas? <laughs> and Las Vegas? No, wait. It, it, <laughs> it's Neil in Sacramento started Don't Die. And um it it just sounds awesome. And he has this thing, Welcome to Ground Zero, Don't Die Recovery Group. A safe, non-judgmental space where you can talk about how your drug or alcohol addiction is or has affected your life. We are non-judgmental. See, I like that non-judgmental. Twice non-judgmental. Twice. Non-judgmental, non-secular, non-denominational, non-religious-based group. We do not work from a book. We simply share our experience with each other. Our primary principles are love and compassion towards one another. Welcome to Ground Zero. We're wow. glad you came. Dude, these people are starting <laughs> meetings, and the three of us couldn't start. We couldn't order a Jack in the Box. <laughs> sounds like sounds like they were listening. <laughs> wow, no, that's, that's like, scary. That's some heavy thought out shit right there. <laughs> like I've never thought that much about it. That's crazy. <laughs> it's so cool. So thank you, Neil in Sacramento, and then David in Las Vegas, and you know, and it, and There's it's very a, simple. Somebody in Alaska. All right, you're really loud in my wow. headphones, Mike Mark. <laughs> Hello, Mike How Mark. How is Mike what Mark wow. so, so loud in my headphones? I'm just... Hey, I'm, it's uh, almost unnerving. Hey, I'm the guy running the show. <laughs> Jesus. So anyways, there's Don't Die is, is really starting to catch on and compassion and just, just being there for other addicts. But... um you know what's strange is there's mul there's all these generations of addicts we've talked about it on several podcasts about how millennials are different than baby boomers and i i was talking to a gen xer yesterday i just did a movie hmm. such a cool movie called getting unstuck about it's just about this. what do you, what you mean you did a movie i played a counselor in a movie Oh, really? I played a guy named Alan, but it's really Bob Forrest. And, it, and, and it's based in the early 90s. It's really 2018. Alan Morris. But I had to disarm a knife victim. You want to see the video? Wow. Uh, I had one of the crew guys shoot the knife getting away scene. Watch you, this. You Go, had to I had unarm? <laughs> disarm. I had to disarm. One of the clients was going to stab one of the other ones. So this is fiction. Then. This is real life, dude. This is a real story. Okay. This is Brooklyn. This is Brooklyn or or Bed Stuy rehab right there. Looks a little L.A. but because it's shot in L.A. But <laughs> with the palm tree. But the book <laughs> it's based on a book called Getting Unstuck by this woman Lele Marley. Oh, she getting cray. Look, see what? that? What? Is that look at? What? And I grabbed whoa, whoa, whoa. the I grabbed the arm with the Go knife. Bob. It was a real knife. 
Were you scared, Bob? I just, I'm an actor. Well, you did a hell of a job. <laughs> hell of a job. Uh, is it too soon to whisper oh, Oscar? Is it? <laughs> I just, so what happens is they get in a fighting group, which you and I see every day. They don't like each other. They have countertransference on each other. Or this they're is, the same person. <laughs> well, yep. well they're right. bo- yeah, on a certain level. <laughs> right. But, but, um, but yeah, that thing of what is it that's triggering about this person. And, and so it carries over to lunchtime. That's lunch right after group. <laughs> okay. And the girl says, you fucking pedophile. And the girl just picks up a knife. <laughs> and I come running in and disarm her. Good for you. Well right? played. So I was just in this movie. And, and you know, it just reminds you of the different kind of addicts. On Friday, Saturday, Sunday, today's Monday. I don't know what day this will air. but whatever. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I got to be in real rehab. Like real 1980s old school rehab. Because every scene was a group and every scene was, you know, fighting amongst the clients and staff trying to regain control. And one scene, I walk into the lobby to get my <laughs> to get to hand my group uh, signature thing in. And there's one kid, one gal sitting there with a note saying, ask me why I'm back. You know, on her <laughs> right, chest, right, right. ask me why I'm back. Right. Uh, the one part of the intake, you know, in the lobby. Another one saying, I'm going to leave. Fuck this place. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just say, I just say, I can't even keep track of who's coming and going to the to the woman who runs the office, right? <laughs> and she's like, neither could I. <laughs> and it was that's how cry help was. I remember I was signage. I mean, it, uh, yeah, we, signs. We, we right? had a girl that had to wear one that says, "I'm a compulsive liar." <laughs> <laughs> just like so i can't believe anything you say it was so sad when i met her and she's walking around the rehab with a <laughs> yeah. sign around her neck yeah. so people can't believe especially millennials or anybody working in treatment in the last 10 years can't believe that that's what rehab was like the first time i went to cry help i not as a client as i went to hazel in my first few times but gloria scott worked to cry help and i went by there and my friend michael kelly was like walking around the track with a mattress on his back <laughs> i was like what the? i just i pulled up in front and there was this track like this running track next to the building right and then he was out there and i walked over there, I go, what the fuck are you doing michael and he just goes get away from me bob you're gonna get me in trouble <laughs> wait a second he had not made his bed or something oh. he had to fucking walk on the track and now all you have to do is tell him you can't go smoke well i'm leaving <laughs> he was gonna walk around a track With the mattress. what do you mean i can't smoke in the building yeah <laughs> so it's very different the very different generations oh, very attic populations are very different and you and i have lived through <laughs> kind of three generations of it i think yeah <laughs> right but it was so great to be back where where it was just no bullshit put a sign on or fucking leave <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and so after the fight i get to tell the one girl who started the fight uh the little one you're you're on suds you're on suds you're in kitchen duty they're both defaced <laughs> to phase zero <laughs> Right, I'm you leaving. Back in the eighties, I can't believe you me. didn't even get kicked out of rehab for grabbing a knife and threatening somebody. Well, you know, You're it, was, just it, was ju- it was just a knife. You're just <laughs> yeah. It's what they do, you know. No phone privileges for a month, right? I think we need that kind of rehab back, but millennials won't do it. No, they won't stay. They wouldn't stay. There's a punishment. I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) I could go to the rehab down the street. But anyway, so I started thinking about it. And one of the gals that plays the addict is a 
Gen Xer, right? And we're talking in between, you know, things, scenes, like, you know, how millennials are and, and how weird it is and how hard it is to communicate with them. And I felt like, you know what? Gen Xers are going to get forgotten. They are a pretty great generation, right? They really are. They created grunge rock. They did all this entrepreneurial stuff. They're the, they're the ones who invented DIY, you know what I mean? Tim Armstrong, Brett Gerwitz. Those are yeah. all people that are Gen Xers. They did a fantastic job. Baby boomers like me are fucking pathetic. Right? <laughs> That's not true either. Baby boomers are the worst generation who ever lived. So it's greatest generation, worst generation. <laughs> I don't know. Gen X, then Mike, Gen Mike, Y. you are a part of the baby boomers. I'm sorry. You're in the worst generation. <laughs> yeah, but Aww. both you and I are like in the t way the tail. On the cuffs, by the way. Yeah. Way, 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 way. We're more like I mean, friends. We're the, we're the baby boomers we who remember, were friends with Gen Xers. Right. We You're remember Xers, when big Kennedy brothers. got assassinated, but um, it's very vague. You yeah, know what very I mean? it vague. Just, it just like, it just changed. We, I knew, remember, we knew that it affected our parents and it changed the whole world. I remember Bobby Kennedy getting killed. Yeah, definitely. But, um, but so... So and and she's a Gen Xer and and I was just feeling sorry for it. Like they are a great generation coming butt up against two of the worst generations, and they're just going to be <laughs> forgotten. They're just going to be smeared over. Uh, Patrick, uh, I'll bet you Patrick, who's doing all this great stuff to get Don't Die off the ground nationally, I bet you he's a Gen Xer. Yeah, and we remember the dead Kennedys. We don't remember either of them being shot, but we remember the band. That's all we got. Dude, I am so like into like nineties music back again. Like I'm listening to Alice all Alice in Chains was so all of that fucking audio good. slave, that Temple of the Dog. That, Temple uh, of the Dog. I went and saw Temple of the Dog, the reunion thing they did last year. I don't know, man. I it just was I'm missing so the nineties, you know what I mean? But the nineties the nineties are if you look at the nineties, that is Gen Xers. It's it was a fabulous decade. Yes. It yes, really was. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and great. I just, I really, I think the Gen Xers need to stand up and, and they're the ones that need to do the dirty work with the millennials. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell you them guys. how it works, oh, people. No. Oh All you Gen Xers, you got to step up and tell the millennials how it works. Yeah. Bob's done delegated. <laughs> but, but so, so, but it really, it really it was like living in another time for three days. It was amazing, hmm. you know, where people have to put their stuff away, clean their rooms. You know what I mean? Rehab that we went through. I mean, I was in those rehabs. Yep. Uh, you know, we... And they constantly tell you, you don't like it? Get the fuck out of here then. And it right. was like, whoa, whoa. Can you imagine a rehab like that these days, Chuck? No, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard. There's, it takes some tact to uh, defaze or this, to... <laughs> this is what I always tell my rehab counselor friends when I'm trying to describe what rehab was like in the 80s and early 90s. Even Cry Help Now does biofeedback. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. Why? Cry, Cry Help, where they used to shave your head upon admission. They shaved your head. And okay. now they do biofeedback. I mean, I love Cry Help. I just had a couple people in there last month and they did really well, but... It's not the same as this movie. So I got to relive the Cry Help Impact 80s drug world for three days, and it was amazing. How fun is that? Can be an educational. No, it's a real. It's just a story. It's a real feature called Getting Unstuck, and I'll tell you more about it as it gets 
as it gets made it's an amazing movie the woman who wrote it and whose life story it is and stars in it is just amazing it's amazing Hmm. she i don't want to give too much away but she finds out she's hiv positive in rehab it's fucking that used to happen though that used to happen when, when we'd line up to go go get tests there were people that wouldn't go but I, I know even at the Rock Center in 91, that wasn't even my first time, but it was like we, all of us were going to go get tested and there were people like, I ain't going. I don't want to know because people were coming back positive. <laughs> it was a big deal. Now people yeah. don't even worry because it's, yeah, it's so kind of off the radar. It's a, something you can survive. I mean, so many hundreds of thousands of people have showed that it's not a death sentence like it was thought to be. Magic Johnson is still alive. Magic Johnson wow. is still alive and, and kicking. And really remember, when was that, 91, when he announced it? I think it was 91. So get this. When Magic Johnson said at that press conference, he's immediately retiring from basketball, and I'm going to beat this, the whole room was like, what the fuck are you talking about, crazy (laughs) man? It was unheard of. Magic mm-hmm. Johnson, amazing human being. And and conscious, this woman that's doing this movie, amazing human being. I got to spend the weekend with her. So, anyways, the thing I wanted to get to is Dr. Drew keeps bringing up the receding IQ, national IQ average in the United States. And I haven't paid attention to it. It's gone okay. down. It's gone down eight points in the last 30 years is that all now, how can that be is when that I'm... all what are you talking yeah, no, about I, I'm, that's I, okay, fucking astronomical no no I, i'm Wait, shocked I because because iq the tests that i've taken were based on my ability to remember things that i've learned and those were things that were like drilled into you the things that aren't drilled into people anymore like history dates presidents states geography you can't even find people on the street i watch these shows where i know they, so that means they, people are dumber Chuck. right and, and i'm <laughs> I, I i thought we'd gone from everybody being like more like 60s so more like I, room temperature iq he, he, he so it's not california certainly california massachusetts is the most intelligent state california is 11th right let's go to the bottom 10 shall we <laughs> I'm going to be shocked. Is, and this is national t- statistics in 2016 based both on IQ, average IQ of the state, and average SAT score of the state. All right. I okay. know Virginia's so, right in there. No, Virginia's not on here. Number one is Hawaii, which I think is a cultural thing. I think natives, I don't think Hawaii should be on the list, but they're number one, lowest IQ in the United States lowest intelligence go fishing with them and then do (laughs) i know but but then it gets into the meat and potatoes of what you already think so nevada mississippi alabama florida south carolina west virginia louisiana north carolina arizona now arizona uh, right now watch this west virginia is not not virginia virginia is like that uh, it's got universities in the outskirts of dc West Virginia. So, so get this. So when you break that down, right, there are six states that Trump consistently goes back to and has his rallies at. Ah. Right? Okay. There's something to it. There's something to the cult of personality we've been living through and, and lack of ability to, to think. There, there is. I'm sorry. 
right? <laughs> you it's, don't have to defend that. I, I, because I, I'm fascinated by it. Like everybody keeps wondering, you know, the sky is falling. I have to reassure my son. I have to reassure my older son. I have to reassure everyone that I work with. It's okay. I've seen this before. It's not the end of the world. Trump's not the end of the world. I've spent the last year reassuring people that it's not as bad as everybody Where? thinks. But what explains him is this. I'm not surprised. Well, yeah. Our current, our current culture, our, our current state of affairs, everything that goes with it, the alarmist view on one side and the, the we're behind him no matter what on the other is just so insane because I, I, I'm glad, I'm so glad I've removed myself from the fear. And, yeah, there's nothing. And like, from the hype. It's just like the, the best thing I, they came up with was the snooze for 30 days on the Facebook where if you're a, if you're a pro-Trump or an anti-Trump, I don't even have to unfriend you. I can just snooze you for 30 days and I don't have to see your negative shit. I can go and see the puppies and the kids and the happy people on vacation and the people living their lives and all the good stuff because it doesn't matter. Man, I put on the news over the weekend. What a mistake. What an error. Because it was all of a sudden there was all this Iran. There was Iran stuff. I guess there's some big thing going on with Iran that I didn't want to know. Yeah, well, it's, it's just all hoopla. Anyways, so what do we... Here's my thing. I'm like, I really am... The better part of me is always solution-oriented. How do we help these people? How do we raise consciousness and awareness and, 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 and thinking and being respectful? How do we raise it? Because I can tell you, there's... Other than Hawaii, there's your list. Go out there and be compassionate in those states. Be understanding in those states. Yeah, I don't think name-calling will help people. anymore. Yeah, yeah, try to help people in those states. So I decided that this is where we need Don't Die. <laughs> and we go. already have it in Nevada. David's right. starting it in Nevada. We need, um, this is all leads into, uh, now, when you, you understand, when you're, when you're an average IQ is 98 or whatever, that means there's a lot of people with 130 and 140. That means there's also a lot of people with 60 and 70. Well, right, it, it, and so so every time you you criticize or you br- even bring up facts like this, people get defensive. So there's a lot of people in Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Nevada, South Carolina, West Virginia, Louisiana, North Carolina, Arizona, right now very angry. And I I just think Hawaii it's not fair. It's so culturally different, Hawaii. The the, the you know it's only been a state for 50 years. They've had their own kind of mentality of what is intelligence and it shouldn't be measured in the American Western European standard in my opinion but Nevada for fucking sure right <laughs> so 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 I'm not saying there's not just hundreds of thousands of millions of bright people in these states there are a hundred all I'm saying is there's hundreds of thousands and millions of not so bright people and the <laughs> and I'm telling you a society is guided by the bright people it's not guided by the not so bright people that is a fucking fact. And if millennials don't like that fact or people that want to be offended by that, the society has not moved forward by people with 75 IQs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm appealing, well, fuck you. I'm fuck appealing you, to the good people of Nevada, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, West Virginia, Louisiana, North Carolina, and Arizona, all, by the way, uh, except for Louisiana and Arizona, huge opiate epidemics, high death rates, mm-hmm. right? Love and spread some compassion and some information and educate and lift up your brothers and sisters there. 
You know what I mean? Instead of attack people that are criticizing your state, lift up. It's your fucking state. You choose to live there. I live in California. I lift people up. I try to hold people accountable. I tell people it's not the end of the world. Stop with the Trump shit. I'm tired of hearing it. Every fucking day I say that. It's, so I'm uh, holding the thousands of people that I know accountable, right? And I'm putting my two cents in. I care about my community. I care about Los Angeles. I care about my state. I'm trying to reassure people, this is fucking nothing. He just talks a lot. It's nothing. <laughs> nothing yeah. has changed other than I'm going to get an incredible tax break. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> what? Oh, no. <laughs> I hate to say it, but, you know, it's crazy. Nothing much has changed. Um, so people in those areas <laughs> that want to really do something, start, don't die, and just start talking like, like Neil in Sacramento and Patrick and the guys up in Milwaukee and David in Nevada and, and where else in there? Syracuse, New York. I, I've, I gotta, we got to keep track of this shit. <laughs> I think that that's so cool that, that it's happening. I like the fact that I like that we, you were able to talk, and someone was able to hear what you were saying, and they put it into words. They and, really did and, better and, than and I they, could. And they double non and not double non judgmental it. I love the double non judgmental. I mean, there, there's nothing better than that because that's what's killing a lot of this. You know, just the same thing where you're where you're saying what you're saying about these places is not judgment. It's these are these are some facts that are put out there. These are the it's places not, we need to work. It's not broad brush, and it's saying that you know, hey, this is a place. These are the places that need some attention, maybe. Yeah, and or just the good people there don't feel overwhelmed. Stand up and just start a little movement amongst your twenty, thirty, forty, fifty friends, and just be compassionate and and reach out to addicts and say, you know what, you know, don't die. You know, why I like saying don't die, I started saying it, if you trace it back, it really, I say it in the movie Bob and the Monster, that was shot in 2007. I say it does work out if you don't die at the end of the movie. And Kirita, who directed it, pointed out, like I said that in the movie, I've just been saying that forever. Hmm. Because it really tells the person I'm saying don't die to, I love you, I care about you. What you're doing is dangerous. I'm just trying to remind you of that. And it's so simple. Don't die. Right. No, and it's, it's huge. And it has gotten so much different in the last, well, you're talking 2007. So even like the last 10, 11 years, maybe 15 years, it's like uh, my friend Erin, who is, uh, she was uh, New Jersey and then Florida. And she was like, you know what? When we went back out, it was, you know, you got drunk. You did something stupid and you came back with your tail between your legs. But now they go back out and, die and they man. die. And it's just like, uh, you know, she, she said that today, and it was just like one of those things where it's just, damn it, this is just so... Serious. All the time, and it's so true. And it's like I, I had went into work with kind of a bad attitude. I don't know if you've ever done that, where it's like I walk in and the clients are the problem, when really I'm supposed to be there to help them solve their problems today. They're not the problem. Well, they can be work. the problem sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> when they grab knives and try to kill each well, other. That, that, doesn't, that was a movie, Bob. <laughs> That, no, was, that, that was really not real. That, was, that, that really <laughs> happened. The whole thing is a real story in rehab. That's a good thing you weren't the guy there to save her. Because <laughs> you would have gone, oh, I man, know. look you at know that it, shit. You know it's baloney when I, I couldn't save anyone from a knife. It was I, like, I, would, I think you should have knocked your hat off and ran over there. <laughs> knocked your head off and jumped. Stop. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> I liked it, though. But, but, <laughs> but really, I, I, I think this don't die thing, it's the simplest thing to say to an addict who's out there. Like, don't die. I care about you. 
Hey, and the whole thing is about living long enough, surviving the disease long enough to get sober. To want to live. And now, you know what? And that's, that's another thing we were talking about today. I loved it because it was like, you, you know, I didn't want to get sober. I just didn't want to die or live the way I was living. It wasn't about, I didn't necessarily want the life that I've got right now. Although had I known how good it could be, I might have wanted it. But I just didn't want what I had anymore. It wasn't a matter of wanting. I didn't want what you guys in AA had. I didn't want what the guys in NA had. I just didn't want what I had anymore. You know, I had, a, and this is what's so weird about people's different experiences. I had the exact opposite experience. When I first went to AA in 1984, 85, I wanted what those people had, hmm. right? As time wore on, then I didn't want it right then i didn't care and i got sober <laughs> it just it, it was all about what you know because some of my favorite musicians were sober and i idolized them looked up to them from punk rockers to singer songwriters and i was and i knew it was like it was cool and it was fun and it was compassionate and there was attractive girls there and there was mm. so much about it that i liked i just could not stop drinking or taking drugs and eventually you know, after about three years of in and out till 88, then I went to rehab, then I took it seriously, and I took it seriously for the next nine years until I got sober, right? But yeah. I remember being very attracted to it, then all that, most of that nine years, not being attracted to it, always looking at the differences, always not liking people, not liking what they shared, but I kept going, right? Yeah. So I don't, I don't you know, wh however you are in relation to trying to get sober, the real thing that I think is lacking in millennials is I know I knew it was the solution. I kept going back. Do you know how many times I was new at a twelve step meeting? About three or four or five thousand times. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> think about well, no, that. Yeah, years, literal years of of standing up as a new guy. I remember getting past the 90-day point and being so happy I don't have to say anything for three <laughs> more months. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to get another chip. Yep. <laughs> I don't have to stand up. Because I liked, a lot of times, you know, a lot of times people would mistake me for having time because I had been around so long, right? It was only when I went and got a chip that they go, I thought you were Wait so a second. longer. We've been listening to that guy. <laughs> he just got 30 days. <laughs> I was going to ask him to sponsor yeah, me. Yeah, truthfully, because I, I was there when they came in, and I was, I was there when a lot of people came in. And they had years. <laughs> they had years. Bob's coming I, up on 30 I'm again. coming up on 30, brother. <laughs> All right. All right. Again. <laughs> I, I remember a friend of mine, uh, I was coming back in, and, and uh and something, something, he could see something about me he didn't like or something. I was so resentful or whatever. And I said, I got 13 days. And he goes, fuck you, Bob. You always have 13 <laughs> days. <laughs> that was so fucked up. That's real. It was so no, real. That's that a friend. That was the truth. That's not even AA. That's a friend that going, fuck you. Truth. You've always got a couple weeks. That's it. That's all you ever get. When are you going to stop? I don't think people say that anymore either. <laughs> I don't think this is fuck you, Bob. <laughs> you always have 13 I, days. And we, we outlawed fuck you, Bob. You always have 13 days a few years ago. We took <laughs> a vote. Yeah. It's just like, you need to work the steps, bro. Is that the answer to everything said in 12-step world? Hashtag blessed. Yeah. Has, have to, hashtag steps. <laughs> <laughs> nobody told me to work the steps maybe that's why i've struggled for nine years nobody told me to work the steps oh i'm sure they did 
I worked them. I knew I could read a book. That's the other <laughs> thing is like, are they, all these people always, the people that proselytize this stuff, are they just, are they just assuming people can't read? Uh, I think so, because I have to tell you what those words mean. But it's, it's, it's funny because I had a guy show up at my Sunday meeting who's, he's, a, he's, guys, he's always all over the world. And, uh, and he goes to meetings all over the world. And he goes, you know, some places they don't, they don't say God. They say something else. Other places they say this. Other places they say that. Because it's not the same. It goes cultural. It goes cultural specific wherever it is. And he goes, and in Germany, they don't really have sponsors because they don't like people telling them what to do. <laughs> like <laughs> they know how to read the book. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, okay, we know apparently That is it's interesting. Let's think about that. That's interesting. So Germany already has a history of having an authoritarian <laughs> yeah. kind of fascist. A little bit. Papa. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting. So is it linked to, for those of you who can follow, so... So Germany is linked to failure, the failure of authoritarianism, right? right? Yugoslavia is not. Yugoslavia, I know a lot of Yugoslavians, now it's called Croatia or something, but a lot of uh, former Yugoslavians still think highly of Tito. They call hmm. him Papa Tito, right? So uh, I think anybody within the sound of my voice, you should look into a little bit of authoritarianism because that's what's going on, authoritarianism right political okay. correctness and all what's going on, on the left is authoritarianism and trumpism is authoritarianism they, they, and what was unique about america is we don't go for that and now we're going forward on both sides it's fascinating censorship to me. authority yeah it is I, I, you know the more i think about it yeah there you go. I hate to tell you, but I, the centrist here is agreeing with you. It's weird. Oh, I'm moving towards you, brother. But listen, the, so so that kind of gravitational pull to f fascism, authoritarianism, both from the left. I think Elizabeth Warren is just as much a fascist as Trump is. She wants to tell us how to think, what to say, everything exactly the way she wants it. Right? How is that any different than than authoritarianism? So... So bear with me. The the idea. <laughs> People just turn uh, yeah, off. I know like, they just <laughs> wanted to kill me right now. I just did a moral equivalence of uh, yes, Trump you and did. Elizabeth. You just compared Warren. us to Nazis, man. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. Papa Tito. Papa Tito was not. Papa a, Tito. I love his tacos. He was a great. He was a great leader. Apparently, according no. to the people that grew up under him. So so I'm sure it wasn't great to be his enemy. No, probably the people that didn't like Tito so much. It didn't work out well. Well, so, 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 so since we're gravitationally pulled to this kind of authoritarian fascist leadership in our politic, it is. It makes sense that we have that authoritarian gravitational pull in our twelve-step world. I'll tell you what you need to think. I'll tell you what step you need to be on i'll tell you it's the antithesis of aa mm -hmm. but that's what's going on and that's what alienates people it's just a, a a micro of the bigger macro which is people are scared people are you know they don't th th there's an anxiety to this this time and 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 place and they want somebody to tell them what to do for the most part well, I don't. And drug addicts in general don't. Right. Right? 
right? But and most most alcoholics, especially in in that that weird time where they would make it to 40, 50 years old, would have to have towed a line to some point. They they've had jobs, you know, they abused expense accounts, so they understood how to follow rules, and they were used to being told what to do by a boss to some extent. So they were more they were more well trained. See, I think that's why Bill Wilson had the success he had. I think Bill Wilson was very much like a rock and roll, grunge rock, punk rocker. He was a brat. He was spoiled. He was a narcissist. He was this guy who thought he was extra special. Right? <laughs> okay. Truthfully. That's yeah. what's described in the big book as the personality of it. Right? Okay. Yeah. Narcissist, basically. Right? The people that I think came in and Dr. Bob and those people, I don't think they were like Bill Wilson. I think they had tendencies and they would identify, but I think for the most part, they were like, thank God we're not Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what's so great about it. It was designed by this kind of crazy, renaissance, depressed guy that I totally relate to, right? But it worked for people who followed rules, who were, Dr. Bob was a doctor. He knew how to follow he rules. He knew how to, how to study. Rules. He knew how to take direction. He knew how to follow a recipe. You know, and that's... I'm thinking Bill Wilson never made a cake. <laughs> no, but I'm sure he told many people how to do it. He's one of those guys that never raised a kid but told you how to raise yours. But do you understand what I'm saying? I relate to what he describes as him, Bill Wilson. I've always related to it. When I read Dr. Bob, I was like, ah, it seems like my dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Are you talking about like the way um, Bill decided he was going to go and run, run the rubber company? <laughs> yeah. Single-handedly In a motorcycle them? in a tent? <laughs> yeah. I'm going I'm to go save the company. Single-handedly. And I, you know, I became an, a 12-step historian to a certain extent in the 90s. I was just obsessed with it, like he'd become obsessed with music. And one of the things that's interesting is he was a guy, this is in a book called Not God, The History of Alcoholics Anonymous. The guy, it was a guy who worked at a, at a brokerage firm in New York, mentioned to Bill that, you know, they're thinking about doing this Goodyear tire takeover or something, but they're nervous about the unions or something, right? Bill then told Lois, I've been hired. <laughs> hired. Oh, that's the way it went. That's the way it went. And they got on a motorcycle with a little sidecar, side yep. and they went in a tent and stayed in Ohio with him talking in the bars to the union people, yeah. right? And trying to get the lowdown so he could go back to the guy, give him info that would then get him a job on Wall Street. Wow. That's me. Yeah. That's me. Now, Dr. Bob is the complete opposite of that. Him and Anne <laughs> sitting in their nice house. I've been in that house. There's a slave quarters in the back. Yikes. You know what I mean? It's one of those big three-story houses in Akron, Ohio, in the right part of town with a perfectly manicured lawn still to this day. You know <laughs> what I mean? Not a lot of culture going on over there. A lot of okay. Bible and Anne and, you know, just like he was, a, he was not like Bill Wilson at all. Bill no. Wilson who's a, who is who I relate to, right? Okay. But so there well, were rule Dr. followers. Dr. Bob was a lot older too. But, but he was a rule follower and Bill Wilson was never a rule follower. He was a Wall Street stockbroker during the crash of Wall Street. He was a <laughs> shyster. <laughs> True Good for him. Right? XYZ thirty two or whatever that thing. And for the next for the next seven years he was trying to get back on Wall Street. 
the constantly from 1929 when he lost a job and lost everything till 1936 when AA gets going, he was always trying to get back on Wall hustle. Street. There was always a hustle. Yeah, and so I just relate to that, and and I've always related to that because and his personality became more the mainstream personality of America. Bill, uh, Dr. Bob's just faded into the sunset. There's no people like that anymore. <laughs> there aren't. You, you well, can't. I'm Florida and some old retirement <laughs> community. How many people are following rules? True. No, I, I mean, it seems like every new show is irreverent. Every new show <laughs> is, you know, unapologetic. <laughs> unapologetic. Uh, 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 turn on Comedy Central. I went, I was flipping through looking for something funny and it's like irreverent. Uh, uh, oh, the, the, reading, uh, reading the thing. Yeah, everything is all about. We're, we don't we don't shy away from the truth. We tell it as we see it. Oh, that's fun for a minute. You know what I think about Bob Dylan a lot, right? Because I, you know, I besides Bill Wilson, Bob Dylan's my other hero, right? So in between the two of them's philosophy of life is where mine is. So Bob Dylan said <laughs> in the in the eighties with the rise of David Letterman. That ain't America, man. Sarcasm and being mean, that's not America. I remember him saying that and just being so taken aback, like, that's not America. And he saw it starting in the mid-80s. That's not America. We don't be mean to each other. We don't take the wind out of each other. Right? Huh. And, and that mean-spiritedness is, you know, if you think how, how comedy expands, it goes right from David Letterman to, to, um, to the, 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 the Comedy Central news show, John, oh, yeah, yeah. John Stewart. And it's not it goes right him. there. It, it, and then it's just, that's what, if you're looking down on 90% of the country and calling them stupid and they just don't know, that's, that mean-spiritedness is the wave that came back and smacked you in the face. Hmm. Political correctness and all that. There's something about it. It's a, it's a cultural thing that evolves, which was media became mean-spirited and gotcha. And, you know, I, I think back to the 70s because there was a, a Saturday Night Live 50-year or some, some, yeah, I think 40-year anniversary or something. And they had the original Saturday Night Live people. And I remember watching them on the Tonight Show, on the Today Show with Tom Schneider, talking about this new show that was going to be on. And even when Chevy Chase was making fun of Gerald Ford, it wasn't mean-spirited. No, it was about it was him being playful. awkward. It, it wasn't was playful. It wasn't mocking his words. It was respectful and playful. It, By the time you get to late 80s David Letterman, it's just mean. And the yeah. meanness just spreads like a virus. And, I, and Bob Dylan spotted it and said, this is not America. We don't treat each other that's like crazy. this. That's crazy. That's crazy. I just watched... Uh, there was a really good, there's a new movie about Robin Williams' life. Oh, is there? Yeah. That's yeah, depressing. Don't watch the um, end. You know, oh, yeah, well, you know, the, the end, you know. Oh, my God. With his, <laughs> that's horrible. You're, see, there you are. You're all David Letterman. Yeah. No, but he, no, no, but no. no the, do you know the end? The, the Parkinson's was. was it it was, wasn't Parkinson's. It, some that's, other that's disease. what they talked but, about, but, though. Yeah. They talked about the Parkinson's. No, but he and, was hallucinating. Right. Was Bob Cut Goldthwait Yes, in he it? was. Okay, so he knew. Bob, Bobcat was, you know, was one of his better friends. Billy Crystal was one of his better friends early on. But I mean, the idea that Robin always stuck to what was going on in his head and he was always sharing happiness. Even when he was mocking somebody, he wasn't mean like so many other people were. Yeah. But I think that's part of his fragility, you know, is that he didn't, he wouldn't want anybody to hurt him like that. So he didn't hurt people. 
Yeah. yeah it was a really interesting watch. I mean, I... I, I everybody, I everybody in the society has a responsibility to the society. And that's what's gotten lost. And so I'm just trying to bring it back to let's at least just care about each other as drug addicts. Can we do that? Can we put politics aside and our opinions aside and put all of what we think other people should think and do and say? Can we put all that aside and just open up our hearts to each other and say, don't die. I love you. I was in the same spot as you. I know it's hard. I, you know, I'm here for you. That kind of thing. Right, that, stop the selfishness and the self-centeredness and care about other people. Yeah, and that that's what I feel when I when I see people that I think are going to die. It all started, you know, in the mid-2000s. I didn't know about prescription drugs, but people started dying. Clients of mine started dying. Mm -hmm. I had never seen anything like it. Like, when you look at my list of clients from the late 90s, none of them die. You know, they just they just recently died in 2017 by right. killing themselves. But oh. but and that's a whole nother can of worms of doctors and prescription drugs. Right. And there's a bunch of stuff going to come out about I don't want to say about one of the musicians who killed himself last year. A bunch of stuff is going to come out in the next week or two. The doctor is going to get prosecuted. OK, they're fucking criminals. And that's another thing. If you're a sober addict, you need to understand this very clearly because both guys who killed themselves were my former clients. Listen to me. Doctors will fucking kill you. When you go into a doctor's office as a sober addict, you need to really be on your game and really be conscious of who the fuck these people are. They will fucking kill you. That's scary, man. Well, it is, especially when my head will tell me I need what this doctor is telling me to take because it wants to be loaded at yeah, the end of the when day. When you look at the things, so, no, but when you look at the things that are that are that are just debilitating, sleeplessness. That was mm -hmm. one of the guys' thing. So can't sleep. Like all of us, like need to be a little more understanding of people that have uh, like sleep disorders. When you can't sleep for a week or like uh, there'll be some nights where I'm restless and can't sleep and I sleep three hours or whatever, that's different than not sleeping for a year. Yeah, not getting, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Anxiety. Everybody has anxiety. We're overwhelmed by bills. We're overwhelmed by shit. We get angry. We get frustrated. We anxious, anxious. We live in the age of anxiety and hate. Everybody thinks they understand anxiety. When you can't breathe and think you're going to suffocate that's different right <laughs> right i have depression i luckily don't have sleep problems or or anxiety i have depression yeah everybody gets down everybody has a bad day everybody has somebody betray them or leave them or their life gets into a bad spot or you have disillusionment that's not living with one thinking about killing yourself every day since you're 13 it's not right it's not the same. So let's try to understand that we are people with those kinds of problems. Think about killing ourselves. That's me. Think about think just panic attacks where you think you're not gonna you're not breathing right and not it. being able to sleep for a year. You go into a fucking doctor's office, they're gonna kill you. <laughs> they will kill you. They'll try. And so they have no understanding of addiction, not fucking one of them. There's not a doctor I've met that understands addiction the way that addicts do. My current doctor does, but I'm lucky. See an addict? 
no, but he's he's well versed. He's one of those guys we talk we've talked about it for. See, like, that's a slippery slope. Every doctor says says they're well versed. No, no, that's but, a slippery slope. You shouldn't have shared that. that there's you some, shouldn't have shared that. I would say there's some that understand. How are we to Not know the difference? Though. How are we to know? I'm saying there are sober addict doctors who will tell you I'm a sober addict doctor. I have a friend Barry tells all his clients I'm a sober guy, right? All his patients. But when you say this doctor really knows the stuff, but he's not an addict, that every doctor says they understand addiction. The one who killed this guy that's going to come out in a couple of weeks or next week, probably, probably, yeah, it'll probably be right when this podcast released. The one who killed him, they say they know everything about addiction. Oh no, it's more you about understand, it's more though. about the idea of narcotics after surgery and things like that, and and sticking with non narcotic. They don't things believe and there's a thing called addiction. <laughs> they don't. Doctors are not I think trained to, to understand it. it. I hope they're starting. No, they're to see not. It. You know what it's called? Substance use disorder. You're not using mm-hmm. substances correctly. You're oh, using yeah. them disorderedly. <laughs> I, I do I do write that every day. I Substance know. Mike, you you've been now Mike finally laughed a real laugh. I've known him my whole life. Mike, it's not called addiction anymore. Doctors renamed it. Hell? It's now called substance use disorder. I don't I don't get it. <laughs> well, you have it. So. Yeah, but is I don't there, get it, man. Is there a way to rectify stu- substance use disorder but, and use substances orderly? You know, and I, I, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if that was an insurance thing because you can't, you can't say that somebody is addicted. You're not allowed to, but you can say they've absolutely not been using that correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't absolutely say no. That was not the intended purpose. <laughs> oh, that is the crazy. I mean, I've been out of documentation since it got invented. When I did wanna, it come along? I want to be, how I long be out of documentation so bad you have no you idea. You got to become a program director, my friend. <sighs> but you like me here's i'll give you a pathway to career so when i was headed towards directorship stuff which is a lot of stuff you don't want to deal with either let right. me tell you toilet paper costs you know how many meetings i <laughs> sat in about my food costs of my unit i mean for hours just bullshit minutiae bullshit when you work for a corporation they're like you know you only had 22 clients at 60 percent occupancy but yet your food costs were still the same bob down there what's going on down there that's the kind <laughs> of meetings you go to as a director <laughs> <laughs> so you get to sign up for that but you also don't have to document <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah i don't know man i i think we should uh, get rich and then we can just help people for fun well, that's the main plan is, is to it'll, it's going to go back where only the strong are going to survive this rehab wave that's going to come. It hasn't mm-hmm. even started yet. First, you know, the ones that are going out of business just don't even know how to build. So they deserve to be out of business. <laughs> so but the second wave that's coming is medically assisted treatment. That's right. going to destroy the industry. Make no mistake about it because everybody thinks they can play both sides of the fence. Right. Everybody does. Right. And not many like Aloe, I hate to say it, me and Evan and Jared have the knowledge and ability to separate the programs. Right. So what people are doing now is having medically assisted treatment patients in the same building as the absence based treatment or in a different house. But they go to the same outpatient. 
Okay, right? but, but medically assisted, you're just talking about suboxone? Yeah, but that's the movement. That's right. the wave. Well, yeah, it is. It's the craving control. Yeah, you know, and I know. Craving we, control, we, Mike, we, do you we, hear that? We, craving. Chuck, Chuck has been brainwashed by the insurance industry. Yeah, no. He just said craving control medication. Yep. You know what's the best craving control medication for a heroin addict? Heroin. No, yeah. suboxone. <laughs> Because it's half life <laughs> is like ten times longer, <laughs> so it takes it's so much harder to Craving kick. Craving control. Uh, Let's go over the new terminology yeah, okay, so that on. Mike Mart is up to I speed. Because in my day, it was like I was just hooked on dope, and <laughs> no, then no, I yeah, had to go to methadone. You clinic. were having craving control issues. Yeah, no, so no. you needed your craving control medication for your substance use disorder <laughs> at the time was methadone. <laughs> oh so uh, let's church it up. Oh my goodness! So what's what's another term? Because I have not been in this world. I, I just know about medically assisted treatment. I, I, I know. I just know that we we've, we've touched on this before because I've had insurance companies ask me why my alcoholic clients aren't on Suboxone for craving medication, because supposedly we're dealing with similar receptors and we oh, want to keep stop. people. We want people to be. We want. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going? You're putting alcoholics on methadone Get, so they don't drink. Oh wait, no. Wait a minute. Just let's be clear everybody at home they're gonna they the insurance industry wants to put alcoholics on methadone so that they don't drink that's what you just said yes that is exactly what i just <laughs> i know it, it doesn't it sounds like i fucked up somewhere but nope but unfortunately craving control Cave, craving control here's a craving control medication that went on in the 1940s and 50s that hank williams died of alcohol Acute uh, 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 acute alcoholism or, or chronic alcoholism was treated in the psychiatric community and in the VA with morphine. That's how Hank Williams well, wait, became a morphine. That you know, that's how thing? Hank Williams became a morphine addict. You know what? We should actually a start a service, thing. Bob, where we just take people out to the desert like you used to. Yeah, yeah. And just call it craving control. <laughs> Yeah, you know what's craving control, Chuck? We'll Three big guys the... that don't let you yeah. leave. They let you don't don't let you leave. Take <laughs> you, you out to you the. You know my boss used to do that. Stuff. <laughs> craving Sit control. Sit on you if you try and leave. Craving control. That's craving control. I have three uh, aides uh, ha- helping me with your craving control you know, today. <clears throat> you know, and and the <laughs> craziest, up, the make craziest, it nice sound good. You know? See, the, the craziest part of that, Mike, is not that it's it's someone claiming to care for the treatment of the client. That's taking their time and doing this personally with me on a one-on-one basis. This isn't some blanket letter that goes out. This is, okay, I see you've been meeting with the client twice a week and that they're going to, they're starting to attend 12-step groups and that they're participating in this and they're, they're doing the EMDR therapy and they're doing this and they're doing that. But why aren't they on opiates <laughs> why aren't they on suboxone and so, it, so because really, it's insurance I mean, against a relapse supposedly even if they're just drinkers so that's crazy so let's gotta stop let's man. let's for all us our counselor friends out there understand what that this is nothing new in the 1940s and 50s the replacement medication for alcoholics was morphine it was practiced at los encinas hospital in pasadena where I worked for 10 years, um, and we found old documentation. We, because you know, I became like kind of the kind of the guy about you're, town. You're there. kind of a Scooby Doo of sorts. I was a Scooby Doo, <laughs> and there was people that had worked there since they were teenagers. They had worked as as you know, like valets and in the kitchen, in the dining room. It had real dining room with real real dining room, like at a restaurant. 
right? Because it was real fancy, right? So, so this one guy told me where they stored a lot of stuff in these back garages, right? So I went digging in there. I found an admissions criteria thing from the 1930s. You could be admitted to a psychiatric hospital for having female problems. Well, you know, when they get crazy like that, <laughs> I, I can see... Now, <laughs> if you want to know about the patriarchal society that we live in and have lived in for 240 years, however long this country has been going, you could be admitted to a psychiatric hospital against your will for having female problems. Okay. Yeah. Right? No, I, All right. Now, here's another it. one of them that I really loved. Melancholia. Oh. Uh, it's such a nicer version than depression. Uh, it, it is a prettier word Melancholia. for sure. Melancholia. I have mel- why and people would stay for months. And Feeling blue. Why are you here? Well, I have melancholia. I need a little morphine for my melancholia. <laughs> I, need a, I need a little morphine for my melancholia. <laughs> they also did uh, what's the thing for diabetics? Uh, insulin. Insulin shock treatment. Oh, really? They shot, I don't know how they do it. Like somebody that's smarter than me could tell us, but they'd shoot you up with too much insulin. So you'd go into shock and that somehow reset your brain to not have melancholia (laughs) (laughs) or female problems. The way you say it, I think I want melancholia. (laughs) Isn't it sound such a weekend. So when I'm really, you know, I've been in a good groove for about a month now. So I know a big fall is coming, but but I try not to, (laughs) I try not to, to let it in. But, uh, but, but, uh, I, when I think about my depression, when I'm in a good groove, like the last month or so, I, re- I think of it as melancholia. All I, ha- all I really have is melancholia. Then right now, that's a good place to be. <laughs> that's not what I had the day after Anthony Bourdain killed himself. No. So, and I miss Anthony Bourdain. I like, I like, here's what I like. I like Instagram because people just were so cool about his death and, putting pictures up cool things of him um and and you know we just got to be a community of love people that's all it is a community of telling people what to do will not survive so till next time this is chuck and bob don't die people bye bye bye